Thank you, Lord, for your word, and I pray that you would help me communicate the truth that is in it, and uh, we open up our hearts and minds to receive all that you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. That's one to have underlined in the 6260. What a great start to a letter. A living hope. By faith, if you're a follower of Jesus... You have received new birth into a living hope. There are apparently seven signs of life, of something that is living. Movement, respiration, sensitivity, growth, reproduction, excretion, nutrition. Hope is alive, it's living It's living, then it moves, it breathes, it grows. Is that how you understand hope? It got me to thinking of this photo and I dug it out. That's Lockie. And it got me to thinking that hope's like that. Last week we talked about hope at Easter and hope starts when we put our faith in Christ and we know we have this hope of eternal life. But hope can be vulnerable. Hope needs to grow. It needs to become strong. And that little Lockie turned into this Lockie who is, uh, as, as, much as, as much as I try, he's uh, a grown man. Thanks, mate. Um, he did it. He got there. We, Leanne and I, by God's grace, we raised this little person to a six-foot-tall man with so much potential, who is robust. And Virginia mentioned before we have um, so many eighty-plus-year-olds, and uh, and I think I, I know many of us at our church who have faith that's not like that and hope that's not like that. But it's strong and resilient, amen? Because it's grown. Hope is alive. It's living. Easter gave us hope. The gospel gives us hope. Have you realised that hope can also get sick? Can't it? Think about it. Good mate of mine named David. His hope was very sick. He ended up taking his own life. Hope died in the end we need hope we need to feed hope to grow hope by the grace of God to multiply hope to cleanse hope sensitize hope oxygenate hope activate hope how do you do that I want to suggest you it's through from this portion of scripture it's through a faith grounded, joy-producing relationship with Jesus Christ that is the curiosity of angels. Hope grows and thrives. It comes alive through a faith-grounded, joy-producing relationship with Jesus that is the curiosity 
of angels. First Peter was written by Peter, one of the closest disciples to Jesus. It was scribed, that is written down by a man called Silvanus. First Peter, and I think that's why when you're doing a read through and you read Second Peter after First Peter, it's a little jarring. And it's believed that First Peter was scribed by Silvanus, who had a way with words. It was Peter's testimony. Uh, but it's more likely that Peter wrote Second Peter. You try that out, First and Second Peter, and feel the, the, the difference. Uh, so Silvana, Silvanus scribed, and First uh, Peter 5.13 tells us that Peter is in Rome when he wrote this. It's code. He says at the end um, that he's in Babylon. And so that means he's in Rome and he's writing a letter to encourage a number of local churches in the first century who are doing it pretty tough in what we would now call Turkey, in Asia Minor. They're suffering persecution. Let me go back and read verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. A living hope starts with knowing that you belong in the family of God because you have been chosen. It's nice to be chosen, isn't it? You reckon? And it feels awful to not be chosen. And many of us here know what it's like. It, it hurts, whether it's a schoolyard pick or whatever, uh, going for a job. When you're not chosen, it, it hurts. And I think it hurts because we've been hardwired by God, our creator, to want to be chosen. We even long to be chosen. Peter calls the scattered church in Turkey God's elect who have been chosen in the Trinity. He doesn't say the Trinity, but that's what he means. The foreknowledge of God the Father, the sanctifying work of the Spirit, the blood of Jesus Christ. Some Christians understand this idea of foreknowledge and being chosen to be elect to say that God, in his wisdom, chooses individuals who he will save and you can't escape it that he does a double election and he chooses who will be damned. I would say you don't have to believe that and you can still be biblical in rejecting that idea. Um, and it's simply to see that God's elect and his chosen refer to the church that he chose to give to his son as a bride. God elected before time began that there would be a people, his people, and he has elected that those who put faith in his son will be part of that church through repentance and faith by grace. So if you believe in Jesus Christ, that he lived a perfect life and died for your sin and rose again from the grave, you are chosen. Amen? You are. You know that you're chosen. And I believe scripture teaches that anyone who puts their trust in him, as God leads we put trust and we find, I am chosen. I am part of the elect. Peter writes, praise be to the God and 
Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, we're looking for how to grow hope. How do you grow hope? To such a point that it is the curiosity of angels. Well, why would I say that and repeat that? The curiosity of the angels. Well, it's from the end of this passage, verse 12. Even angels long to look into these things. Peter is saying, when you get a hold of the wonder and beauty and unfathomable grace that is in the gospel... And what that means for each human being who has been saved and forgiven and transformed and given a living hope, the angels, when you get a hold of that, the angels can't help but stare. They are, literally. They're looking on and wondering and pondering what this means. You see, Jesus doesn't inhabit any of the angels by his spirit. He didn't come to earth God in human flesh to die on a cross to save the angels, though he is redeeming all of creation. God became a human being and inhabits human beings by his spirit. The wonder-working process began with being chosen and then includes God's great mercy. The angels are in awe of what is available to us. We all deserve to be judged for our sin. Ben mentioned it before. We talked about it at Easter. Each one of us is guilty of sin and no one can claim that we are righteous in and of ourselves. This is the message of the book of Romans. It is God's pure mercy that we could be saved. Oh, the mercies of God. That's why we sing like that. Chosen, receiving mercy, he has given us a new birth. The angels are in awe of the new birth. How can a person look the same but be utterly transformed on the inside? The Bible's very clear when we put our faith in Christ, we are born again. And yes, that is a, a, a slogan that can be hassled. Born again Christians, saved by the blood of the Lamb. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. That's what is required. Jesus said we must be born again. And we must be saved by the blood of the one perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. New birth. I know we have at least one midwife in our congregation here. Um, any other midwives apart from Helen? I say that because Helen's seen the most new births, I would have imagined. I got to see four up close, and they're an amazingly special and unique thing to see God's way that humans continue to come into the world so special and when I look at a new child that Leanne has given birth to we're just wow this is so filled with potential like that's new birth that's new life it's wow and I think that's the angels looking at whoa the potential of a of a person who's born again of the spirit of God last Sunday night we had this pool filled up 
Virginia mentioned before, and we heard testimony from Cody and Christy, both of whom have had fairly recent transformative experiences by the grace of God. And it was so, so wonderful to hear them testify. I think they probably look in their face a little different, but sometimes that's harder to see than what has happened on the inside. New birth. I'm taking it a little bit far, but the angels, I think, make sounds like, whoa, when they see people baptised. To symbolise this death to the old life and because Jesus rose from the grave, coming out of the water. Chosen mercy receiving new birth into a living hope. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for. Faith is linked to hope. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it's impossible to please God. Faith is a very important commodity, but it's linked to hope. Faith is absolutely essential. I can't please God without faith. Romans 8.24 says, but hope... That is, seen is no hope at all who hopes for what they already have. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Hope is confidence of what's going to happen in the future. And that hope for the future, by God's grace, builds faith for us living today. Amen? Hope is living. What are the signs of life movement, respiration, sensitivity, growth, reproduction, excretion, nutrition? Hope needs... Think about this. Hope needs to move, breathe, feel, grow, multiply, be renewed, be fed. The living thing, chosen, mercy, new birth, living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Think about Peter and Peter using anything to do with resurrection. So we get used to these theological terms. But think about Peter. When he writes his letter to the churches scattered in Asia Minor, and he says, you know what, you, you received a lot through the resurrection. I'm thinking that uh, <clears throat> he has a very particular uh, and unique perspective to speak out of, don't you think? This is the Peter who started out following Jesus when he's uh, been fishing all night and, Peter, and, and Jesus comes up to him, the carpenter, and says, put, mate, put your nets on the other side. He's like, because you say so, I will. He does and gets a full nets and that gets told, you're going to fish for men like that. And uh, he's the one who did something else rather special. Do you remember? Walking on water was sort of quite unique. So the guy that rose from the dead that he's telling us about is the one that he saw on water. And he walked out on that same Sea of Galilee and he walked to Jesus. Peter saw the transfiguration. But before he did see the uh, transfiguration, I'm just doing my... The only reason I cough is so that you know I'm not an imposter. (laughs) If I did, you go, what are you doing with Jono? I'm sorry. I had my cough lolly today and it's my thorn in the flesh, I think. 
Peter sees the transfiguration, but before he sees the transfiguration where Jesus is turned into this glorious version of himself, um, it's at Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus chose that location specifically. Caesarea Philippi. Anyone been there to the cave? Not many of us. You guys didn't get there? Um, it is. If you ever go to Israel, it's worth going to Caesarea Philippi because there is... A cave that we see on the right, but back in the first century it looked more like the left. And where the cave is, the, the, the pagans of the time believed that this is the, the gate of Hades. This is where they worshipped the god Pan. This is where they did human sacrifice to the river that was going underneath the cave, which is behind the temple. So Jesus takes his disciples to this very place, which is the portal to the underworld. And he's trying to teach them about who he is. And this is what is so important to remember when Peter, who is the one who's answering this question and who just later on sees Jesus transfigured, Peter had this interaction, verse verse 13 of chapter 16 of Matthew's Gospel. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, Others say Elijah and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter, the author of the letter that we're reading, says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades, which are just over there. They will not overcome my church. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. When Peter says the resurrection, it is nuanced. (laughs) He has experienced the one who rose from the dead, who claimed to have the keys of death himself and he proved it through the resurrection. Chosen, mercy, new birth, living hope, resurrection. If we can get a hold of the reality of the resurrection and a smidgen of what Peter experienced, then that's a living hope, amen? It is. It's a living hope that there is one who rose from the dead. And when the language of in Christ means that when we put our faith in him, we get what he gets. And that is eternal life, resurrected, immortal body. We live forever in a place where there's no power of contrary choice. There is no sin and it is all good. This is an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. This is an inheritance that's not going to get ruined by a stock market crash. It's an inheritance that's not going to get ruined by a crash in real estate. He'll never perish, spoil or fade. And when we understand that in our deepest place in the midst of the anxiety of life, that can cause a smile to come on your face. Can't it? It can make you just a little bit happy when you think, I shouldn't be happy. 
I'm going to live forever. And no one's taken it away. I'm going to live forever because of what Jesus has done. Verse 6, in all this you greatly rejoice. And then this is the, the little catch. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. It's a little bit of a pivot, isn't it? All this amazing theology, amazing truth about those who have put faith in Christ and then Peter, who's pretty soon going to die, he's writing to people who are suffering and he says, yeah, it's amazing what you're experiencing by faith in Christ, but for now, you've got to suffer. And he knows what this roller coaster ride is like, doesn't he, Peter? If anyone knows what it's like. He says, We have a living hope that will grow your faith for now. And what he's really saying is because you'll need it, you're going to need some faith. Because for now, you're going to have to live a life that's not free of suffering, that's not free of trials and tribulations, that's not free from persecution and illness and failure and sinful temptations, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. That is an understatement there. Christians have been crucified, boiled alive, fed to wild animals. It's tough. And then Peter says, these trials, they're like fire. Verse 7, they've come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. The journey of the Christian life involves suffering. And it's been described like this. I find this a very helpful thing, the golden triangle. When we get a hold of the gospel, not just a sin management gospel, not just a gospel that says you're going to get to go to heaven, but a gospel that promises heaven as well as life abundant now, as well as a way of living that is the way of the master, that is an easy yoke, that is life-giving and joy-producing. That's the whole gospel based in what Jesus has accomplished in his life, death and resurrection. But Christianity is about holy habits, taking off the old and putting on the new. It's what the Sermon on the Mount talks about. It talks about not being an angry person because you started out angry. No, no, you've been changed and you can put on the new woman, the new man. And that applies for everything you can imagine. There is a way to live that is life-producing, that is in the spirit and not the flesh. But that just doesn't happen like that. It, it is a process and it involves spiritual disciplines, holy habits that we learn and we grow in. And second, Peter says, make every effort to add to your faith. Not add to Christ, but add to the capacity you have to live out the way that he said that we could live. Amen? Holy habits. Because we'll need those habits because life's got some trials, tribulations, temptations, and that's the way it works. Amazing truth in the gospel manifest in us through actions that are of the light and not the darkness. 
And then all that getting tested by the stuff of life that's challenging. Of the flesh, of the world, the fiery arrows of the evil one. That trials represents all sorts of challenges. But we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Spirit of Jesus with us. We have the truth of the gospel. We have the word of God. Though you, in verse 8, though you have not seen him and you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I prefer the other translation which says, you have a joy unspeakable. This is key. When we look at everything God has done, And we don't just look at it, we feel it. We feel everything God has done for us in Christ and through the work of the Spirit in our lives. It's the work, remember verse 2, of the Trinity. When we behold the mercy and the love of God shed abroad in our hearts, the result is joy. And joy is inextricably linked to the other four parts of the famous five. Faith, hope, love, peace and joy. Today, Peter is focusing our attention on hope, living hope that grows and becomes very strong in the Lord. Let's finish this passage in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah And the glories that would follow, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. So what is the secret to living a living hope that grows healthy and robust and resilient? I would suggest to you the secret is to do what the angels do. Take a long look every day at the gospel. That's the secret. Take a long look at your chosenness. And say, wow, I'm, I'm in. I got chosen. Look at the mercy of God. Take a long look at your own new birth. Every single day. Take a long look at the power of the resurrection. The gates of Hades, the door has been broken open. If I'm in Christ, I get to live forever. Take a long look at your eternal inheritance and let your living hope become mature in Christ. The prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come. You know, there were many, many hundreds of years where prophets spoke inspired by the Spirit of God about what was to come. You know, they spoke, they wrote it down, it's holy words, and it's saying, you know, one day, one day God's going to take away this heart of stone, heart of flesh in there, he's going to put his spirit, his very spirit in us, and the spirit will teach us to walk according to his statutes. Whoa, what a day. They looked forward to that day when Messiah would come and it would all happen, the promise of the spirit inside of us. Hey, guess what? We's living in the glory days. We are here. The grace that was to come, we're 2,000 years into that grace. These are the glory days. When I reflect on my life and with Leanne, we think, you know, I suppose we're 
just over mid. Sixties <laughs> the new fifty, so I must I'm a relatively young man. But we think about life and we've been living now long enough to watch our kids become adults and one of them is married and you start to, you know, get a bit more reflective. And, uh, and it makes me think how when you're younger, you always want to get past that next season, don't you? To, to the next season, we're building our career and, you know, oh, okay, maybe I could find, maybe you do, you don't want to find a life's partner and maybe you find one, oh, whoa, how's this going to go? We're going to build a, a marriage and, and, and maybe we could have some kids and build this family and make sacrifices. You're always living for that next season. And we're so struck at the moment um, by you've got to live in the moment because these moments, it, he's not there like that anymore. <laughs> I've got to enjoy that season when I'm there because the grace of God is powerfully available in every season of life. Amen. And that's not to say that each season is easy. Some are easier than others. But we feel acutely aware just at the moment that uh, these are the glory days, and they were 20 years ago as well. You know, northern life, we're living in the glory days. The glory days of Hornsby Baps weren't just the 1970s when the church was packed. And, and it's not just because we've got a nice new building that these are the glory days. The glory days are because we have the gospel and we have been born again of the Spirit. If you put faith in Christ, we have an eternal living hope. No one's stealing it. And we get to share that and be ambassadors for Christ. And that is something incredible. Amen? These are the glory days. They're not if you're lukewarm. They're not if you're worshipping some little man-made idol. But if we put Jesus front and centre and say, we want to live for the glory of you, an audience of one, and we want to do it together... They are glorious days filled with hope because it's Christ who builds his church. And on a revelation of who Jesus is and what he has done, he can build his church and the gates of Hades cannot overcome it. So that means we can storm the gates of hell and grab people who are just about to go in and pull them out. Amen? Not because we're strong, because we're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. That's what he does. <laughs> 